0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Motos and Friends podcast, brought to you by the editors of Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. This podcast is brought to you by the Yamaha YZF R7. The R7 is a comfortable yet high performance supersport machine. Check it out at your local Yamaha dealer or, of course, at YamahaMotorsports.com. This podcast is also brought to you by the new modular helmet from Shoeberth, the C5. The C5 blends safety with lightweight and amazing quietness. Visit shoebirth.com for more information. This week, in the first segment, editor Don Williams talks to us about the new Kawasaki Versus 650LT. The LT. the lieutenant is the middleweight ADV style machine that uses the same 650 parallel twin motor as the Ninja 650, so it's an excellent performer in a user-friendly, good-looking package. In the second segment, I chat with one of my dearest industry friends, now retired Honda PR executive John Seidel. John's fascinating career spanned some 30 years with Big Red and gave him some great experiences with some incredible machines. I was fortunate enough to be invited on many of the press launches that he organised. His new project is documenting and saving many of the old archives from years gone by, and incidentally. If you have anything that may be of value to the project, please contact us by email at producer@ at ultimate motorcycling.com and we'll pass it all on to John. So on that note, from all of us here at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoyed this episode. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of supersport machine. It's called Our World." and the Yamaha YZF-R7 is your gateway. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZFR7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favourite Canyon curves. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZFR7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours.
1: Yeah, the new 2022 Kawasaki versus 650 LT. Now, this year, it's not a, a complete makeover. They didn't design an all-new bike or even close to it. In fact, the the updates on the surface don't seem like a big deal, but in the way the bike operates, it actually makes a significant enough difference that we're talking about it. And uh, let me just kind of start with the first one that you'll see. If you, if, you get, if, if you walk up to the bike, the first thing you'll see is it has a new fairing. So uh, the upper part of the fairing is completely different. It has a more modern look than the previous one. It's it's now more like the H2 and the Versus 1000. So it looks more, it just looks newer, looks fresher. It's very angular, very aggressive, uh, very cool. And uh, that's all good. Uh, The other thing it has that they, they didn't have before on the Versus 650 LT, and by the way, the LT means basically you get hand guards, and uh, panniers on the standard versus 650. So it makes it, the LT being a light tour, I would say. If you're if you going to, if you plan on touring on the versus 650, you would want to, we'd want to step up to the LT. So anyway, there's a new fairing and the new fairing uh, actually works pretty good. What it does and attached to the new fairing is a new four position adjustable windshield. So the kind of advantages here are twofold one, the new fairing is a bit wider and it takes a lot of the air blast off your lower, you know, torso. It's not, you know, it just, it's just there. So it's, it's always taking that, that wind off of that part of your body. So there's just, you know, considerably less fatigue as you go riding. It's not like the old fairing wasn't good, but this is just, you know, just like it always is. You look at it, how can we improve this? How can we make it better? Made it a little wider, more angular look, I guess is still, is, Pushing the air in different directions away from you and it and it works pretty well and then above it is this four position windscreen, and it has about a three inch throw, which is actually pretty good and there's there's four positions for it. Uh, the way you adjust it is there's a button uh, like a release button near the dash, so you can push that in with your right hand and then with your left hand, you move of the very a pretty notchy design, you know, you, when you move it from one to the other, it's not like this smooth, like click, 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 click. It's like you know, counter wrestling, clunk, 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 clunk. So that's just fine. I mean, you know, you're, it's not like you can't do it. It's just, there's the four positions that you can choose from. Now there's a sticker on the tank that says, don't do this while you're riding. And uh, I can tell you you can do it while you're riding. And I would not recommend you do it while you're riding because you have to take both hands off the handlebars. So you're pushing <laughs> okay. with one hand and you and the other, but it is possible to do it. I don't recommend you do it. And the downside of doing it that way is that really you either have it on the low position or the high position. Cause you push that button, you're, you're coasting along, push the button and you just kind of grab the thing and you either yank it all the way to the top or you just jam it down. <laughs> you know, trying to, to wrestle it into the two middle positions while you're riding is, Probably that's that's a, that's a, even a bad idea to me. I <laughs> won't so, do it. So uh, you know if somebody says, Well, Don told me that I could adjust that, I just said, Yeah, hold on, dude. I told you that it's possible to do it. I didn't say it was a good idea. Right. I just said it was
0: possible to do it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should.
1: That's right. And they have a little sticker there to remind you of that, you naughty <laughs> boy. <laughs> <laughs> and so when it, it's it, it, the difference between the low and the high position are pretty is pretty dramatic when it's in the low position you're getting a lot of upper body air but not turbulent they they really did a good job with aerodynamics so the wind comes in smoothly so it's just a good feel like in the summertime you know you just would drop that down if you're in town now even in the up position it's not super hot right? it's not like in your field of view really it's not a problem so for me I liked it pretty much most of the time in the up position. It takes a lot of the weight of the wind off your chest and doesn't even direct it on your helmet. Again, it's it's a smooth flow. So you don't, you're not feeling like you're fighting anything. And when it goes up in the upper position, a little bit more air, interestingly, comes in from the side. So you're kind of getting this side airflow through the side of your body to kind of whisk away any heat there might be. You know, it's just, it's, it's pretty, it's a really, you know, normally the windscreen thing is just like, oh yeah, there's less, there's more. This one has a little bit more nuance to it. And the, in the middle positions, again, I think those are going to be for people who are kind of different heights and then they would have a maximum or minimum that they would want. For me, really, it could have been a two position windscreen. I'm totally happy. Either I want it all the way down or all the air coming in, or I'm, I'm happy to have it all the way up, which is a, the vast majority of the time protecting you most of from most of the wind but still allowing enough in to enjoy the ride and know that you're out of a motorcycle you're definitely not in a cocoon for your whole head but your your lower body is not fatigued and when you have a bike that's a light tour or a long distance tour you you know the wind blast can make a long day longer whoever was in charge of this redesign of the the windscreen and the fairing did a fantastic job and really totally you know totally like it totally i was already a fan of the versus 650 lt and this just makes me a bigger fan and now the other upgrade is it has a new tft 4.3 inch tft dash and you know we all love the tft dashes and it makes the old lcd dashes seem like fred Flintstone. and <laughs> right so So, you know, it comes on, it's got different colors and it's, you know, it's got clever graphics. and It looks great. And with that came uh, traction control, which somebody, you know, I think Nick said, what do you traction control on 650? And it's like, it makes a difference. And let me tell you how it works. It's kind of like the Suzuki setup where uh, you don't have power modes. You don't have a high power mode, low power mode, you have the same power modes, but you have traction control instead. And it's kind of, I don't wanna say a poor man's power mode, but it has, the, it has an impact on how the power is delivered more than you would think from just traction control, but as much as you would get if you had a true uh, power mode. And I actually find that to be a good thing because one thing I've noticed with power modes on uh, bikes lately, I feel like the engineers behind the power modes are starting to get a little lazy. And most of the power modes we you have, you have the sport mode, which is a more direct mode. We're all familiar with that and then we all like it. But there'll be times when you maybe don't want to use that. Maybe it's the end of the day, you're getting tired, you're going to twisties and you just don't want that snappy response. Or you're in town and dealing with traffic and splitting lanes. Okay, I don't need to have the bike jerking or you know, I don't need every little nuance of the throttle thrusting me forward and I want to pad things down. But instead of doing that, what it seems like power modes lately, and I'm sorry, I get bikes I get, it makes it feel like the throttle is connected to the EFI, the throttle body with a rubber band. So it's like you turn it and nothing kind of happens, but it kind of starts as the rubber band starts to then you know, contract, then it starts to pull on the power in this kind of rubbery kind of way instead of it just being like a little less power or having its own kind of uh, character, it just feels like you're just kind of waiting for it to go. And eventually, you know, it picks up and, and most of the road modes have the same top end power as, as the, the, uh, the sport mode. It's just how they get there. And I'd like to see like a little bit more linear response, but just padded down rather than like this th- slow throttle response that kind of progressively picks up. So that's kind of, that's been my, my pet peeve of, of, uh, of power most lately. So in the case of the Versus 650 and Fifty LT, they have got the power, the, they have the traction control modes. So basically there's three positions. You have no traction control, so that's fine. Uh, I wouldn't, when I'm riding a bike like this, I'm happy to have traction control on. I don't need to light up the rear end or anything or, you know, so you then have a chance choice of one or two. And basically Kawasaki has one is the standard one. And then two, they said for low traction uh conditions. Now for me, and I'm not hot riding this bike, I'm not like pretending that I'm on a ZX6R when I'm riding a versus 650 LT. I'm on a sport touring bike upright, nice wide bars, upright seating position, feels comfortable, not a race bike, it's a sport touring bike. So In this the the number one mode is just the slightest bit notchy. There's it's not like the throttle response is snappy, like let's say on a KTM Super Ducar. Boy, when you're in that sport that I don't think the race mode, that bike is a beast. This is not, of course, like that. It's a 650 twin and it's friendly, but it's just it's not quite as smoothly engaging your throttle input. And so I found that when I put it in two it just kind of took that edge off and it just made the bike more pleasant to ride. Now, if I'm riding aggressively and I'm going into corners, jamming on the brakes, like there's, let's say there's uh, you know, a gang of bikers chasing me and I need to get away from them, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I had cut off their leader. <laughs> so, so uh, I, you know, I, so if I'm riding aggressively, which I did on the bike because that's part of testing the bike and, and having fun, then that snappy, that little snappier, sharper throttle response is fun. And so, you know, even in one, you feel it. And in, in the, with it off, it kind of isn't that much different than one. And so it's a fun way, it's a fun bike to ride. And you can make it, you can ride faster. You can make a little bit more time. Let's say it's starting to get dark. You want to get home. I'm going to ride faster, get home, you know, earlier, sun's still up. You know, I only have a dark face shield on. So, you know, there's times when you want to go fast. But if you're just riding, you're looking at the stuff and you're still going at a good pace, let's say anything under 90%, that smoother throttle response that comes with the power, the, the traction control two mode is actually, is just better. You, you can kind of ride at the same speed with less effort than you would in one at, at that like sub 90% because you're not getting any of that jerky. You don't have to just ease the throttle. on. you just turn it on, it cuts it out, that, you know, cuts out that sharpness and you just go. And so most, usually when I see these traction controls like that, I'm like, you know, I put them in the middle and I'm, I'm good. But this one, the, the two really impressed me as, as, as a different way to go. The bike is a super great small displacement sport tour. I mean, to me, it has a passenger seat and you could throw two people on it. But if you want to ride two up, if I'm riding two up long distances, I'm going to the Versus 1000. You know, I'm not going to get a 650 twin. It's doable. Maybe on short weekend rides from your house, that's fine. And, you know, your girlfriend on the back, she's, she'll, she'll be good, but, uh, you know, if you're going to be going in kind of real long distances, the 1000 on the open road, it's going to have a lot more power with the weight of two people. Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah, we 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 rode the uh, the thousand all around northern California a couple of years ago, the versus 1000. And I got to tell you, it was really impressive. It was it was very impressive. But I haven't ridden the 650. I, I take it. It's the same parallel twin, you know, architecture, essentially the same engine as you get in, you know, the the Z650 and the Ninja 650 and and so on. It's just got a, a different state of tune, I would assume.
1: I think it's just the same motor they slip it in there. They also use it in the Kawasaki Vulcan 650.
0: Oh, really? Wow.
1: So so this motor is getting a lot of play. It's in a, you know, the, the Versus originally was sort of marketed as this adventure bike. It's not an adventure bike. It is 100% street bike. Sure. And it's got street tires and there's 17-inch wheels at both ends. For me... And, and street suspension. The, uh, well, no. See, that's where it has. It has that, like, extra inch of travel.
0: Oh, okay. All right.
1: You know, and and that that actually brings up another kind of issue for me. This is kind of, you know, it's gone back to the adventure bike thing. So you have a longer travel suspension. But I think that any manufacturer, include Kawasaki with the Versus 650 fifty LT Triumph with the Tiger Sport 6, uh, 660 if they're going to go with 17 inch wheels and pure street tires, you're not going to the dirt. It's not a dirt bike. It's not, you know, you might go on a dirt road, but you can take a Z650 on a dirt road if you needed to go somewhere. You know, it, people have done it. So the extra suspension travel, all it does is raise the bike and, you know, it makes the seat height a little bit less, you know, a little bit less accessible to people and the center of gravity goes up. I'd like to see them accept the reality that they're selling a bike that is 100% street bike, Keep lower the suspension to the normal numbers, the same numbers that you see on a Ninja or 650 or the Z650. Keep the adventure styling, keep the hand guards, keep the fairing, keep all that stuff there, but just let the bike be lower. It's like SUVs. It's kind of like a, you know the SUVs of the day now. These are not off-road SUVs, and then there's ones that are not, off, not off-road, but they have to sell look. And those cars, those SUVs have gotten lower. You know, they used to be on that truck chassis and sit up pretty high, and now they're on the truck chassis, but they're sitting far lower than they used to be. It's fairly obvious that if you just sort of
0: lowered the suspension, you know, this thing would look like a mini, you know, Z1000, you know, the, the Sport Tora. I mean, if you lowered the handlebars a little bit and lowered the suspension, um, it would look like just like a, a sort of a, a typical sport tourer
1: now see I don't want to change the, the bars I want the bars I, I like the ergonomics the adventure ergonomics okay it's up more upright wider bars you are just kind of you have a good feel for the bike and you have good control of the bike and you're not you know you're kind of saying I'm not really in the sport area area. I'm more in the touring area. I'm relaxed. I got my arms up. They're not down. I'm not leaning over. So that's that's where I want them. I just want them to do the suspension lower to, to normal street numbers instead of quasi-adventure numbers that people are never going to use. If I, there's like nobody that's going to take this Versus 650 and Fifty LT and bottom the suspension. Like they're going off-road so hard, they need that extra inch. There's no way. They're just you know if you're going off road you're just going because you know you're on a trip and there's you know i remember i was in utah and there was some kind of something to see off it was like a a, down a dirt road for a mile right you know and you can ride a street bike for a mile on a dirt a good dirt road you know no big deal but a bike like this is a little bit better for it because there's usually some extra plastic protecting the engine from little pebbles hitting it and stuff that's that's all great but really i'd like to see that it's sport tour go like a little bit more to like the adventure sport tour ergonomics but lower the bike because you're just pretending that the bike's going to go off-road and this is not an off-road you know if you want to get an off-road 650 go get the suzuki v strom 650 because that has a 19 inch front wheel and 17 rear and you can put real tires on it for adventure riding and the 19 is way better for going over any kind of off-road obstacles so right those motor- motorcycles exist right and i i will make my complaint all, the the bags on this bike were impossible to deal to get off and on initially <laughs> okay i thought it was just not going to happen it's like these these bags cannot come off there's something wrong there you know but it was both of them and i was like man that cannot be and so I talked to a representative Kawasaki who instructed me to hit it as hard as I could repeatedly with my fist to, towards the back. And I did, and I did, okay. and I did, and eventually it broke loose and came off. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, so then I knew that it would, it would come off. Like it actually would come off because it, at some point I was thinking, these just will never come off. They're permanently affixed to the bike. and getting them on mm-hmm. was again required a lot of you know muscle and so got them on and then to get them off i had to pound it but not quite as hard this time maybe i only had to pound it two or three times instead of four or five before and when i'm talking <clears> to <throat> pounding this is not shy pounding this is like bang <laughs> bang like out oh, my hand kind of hurts but it, <laughs> right. i'm hitting it i'm doing anyway so We've had, you know, Versus 650 LTs before, and the bags are no different than they were in the past, but we must have had ones that were broken in because they were fine on other bikes. You you take them on and off. They might be a little notchy, but not bad. These, man, I don't know how they sell them at the dealer this way. Like if I was buying it, they'd say, oh, how do you get the bags off? Like, oh, I'll hit it with it Your fist as hard as you can. <laughs> Eventually it'll break in and be like, uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. actually I have, a, I have a fix. I I got some, you know, graphite lube. I'm going to try putting that into the little hooks where it goes into the frame and see if that okay smooths things out. It's, it's a great setup. I mean, the, once you get it loosened up, it is really good. You know, you just slip those in, there's a little, you know, uh, notch below that goes in and they come off really easily. They, they uh, will accept a, a whole, uh, helmet a full-face helmet can go in each of the bags so oh, really so they're pretty roomy then yeah so they're yeah so they're good bags N- you know no complaint about the size of the bags or the shape they look good on the bike and one thing i thought was really interesting was the bags didn't change oh and and it, while the fairing changed and also they changed the ta- design of the, the tailpiece now that's a you know aesthetic thing that's not going to change how the bike works but the bags didn't need to be changed. They were like kind of a, I'll say a classic enough design that they worked with the old design, you know, the old Farian tailpiece and they worked with a new tail Farian tailpiece visually. So right. the bags are really good. Uh, it's very strange to me that they can't make them work super smooth, as smooth as they eventually will right out of the box. And we weren't the only ones. Uh, I talked to another journalist who, was, who had one and he said, oh yeah, God, I couldn't get them off. So. It's, it wasn't an isolated incident, unfortunately. Oh, and there's one more thing I'd like to talk about: the TFT dash. It, going with the way things are these days, it also pairs with your phone, and that gives you access to a uh, Kawasaki app called Kawasaki Rideology. And I always wonder about these apps because if you, whenever you go in the app store, they don't get right. good ratings. You know that they're obviously farming them out to some software company because. You know, Kawasaki doesn't sit around doing, you know, programming things like that. In this case, the app doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, In in the case of like the Versus 1000, uh, shoot, they have a bunch of letters, ST plus, XTL, you know, whatever it's called, the, the high end Versus 1000, you can make all sorts of adjustments to the power. You know, you can set the power modes and the suspension and a bunch of different things using the app. Now this is the versus 650 lieutenant doesn't have those features. So really all it does is kind of keep track of, you know, when you get your last oil change and number of miles, you know, things like, you know, kind of maintenance related things. So it's a, it also does a thing where it has a feature where you can keep track of, you know, it'll, it'll tr- track your ride and stuff. And I've never had luck with that. A previous version of rideology, I didn't. I'll admit to not even trying it really, Relive or rever, those people are 100% fixated on making their apps work at that, at that job. I would always use those rather than the Kawasaki app that does a bunch, you know, the, the app that keeps track of your oil changes and adjusts your suspension. Well, you're going to use it for your ride tracking app. Well, why would you? That's obviously not the main function of the app or just another one of the functions. You're going to use one of the other apps, that's all they do. And they're trying to please you and make you happy and get you to subscribe to their thing, which, you know, I'm a subscriber to Relive. I love it. That is an awesome, you know, app. And the Brideology app is not so awesome. So uh, it does give you that ability to pair. And I have a uh, Apple iPhone 12 mini and it paired in like a few seconds. So, you know, sometimes the pairing process can be, Arduous, and in this, at least in my case, it paired up right away, and so that's that's always a good thing. And and the display, the TFT display is very nice. Oh, I do have another complaint about the TFT <laughs> okay. display. The range doesn't work. What? And again, this wasn't exclusive to me. I talked to somebody else with them. The bike is at less than half a tank, and it has this. this range is two hundred thirty six miles. <laughs> now, the range is not two hundred thirty six miles with half a tank of gas. And one thing I'd noticed before is I was riding out to uh, right north to Bakersfield, which was about 90 miles away. And when I got on the bike, it said I had 175 or 171 or 181, something like that range. So I'm like, okay. So I'm going along Interstate Five, up in the mountains, and it it was sticking at 181 for a half hour. I was riding along and then all of a sudden I look down, it says range 81 miles. <laughs> so it's like within a a minute you know the range cut in about half or whatever it was so there's something and again i've talked to somebody else same problem the range is not reliable and i don't know why or what the problem is and why this wasn't fixed before they the bike came out but you cannot count on that range but you know we got along for years without range you know keeping track of the range You have the odometer you have the bike, you know how far you go on a tank, and and the the fuel gauge is fine. You know, it's completely reliable and you you can keep track of, you know, how much gas you have. Range is nice, I've always enjoyed range. Uh, The BMW, we have a BMW S1000XR that we've been testing and the range thing on that is great. I mean, if it says you have a range of 11 miles, I'm good getting the gas so really it the bike has a 460 mile range no it doesn't so i doubt it yes so they definitely need to work on that that part so it just came out a little bit too quick on the upside the tft display has the miles per hour and a giant numeral so you can't miss it gear selection is in a number not quite as big but very easy to see uh, the traction control setting, again, a little bit smaller, but still super, super good. Uh, it has like this art arching uh, tachometer that, you know, I'm just never using a tachometer on a bike. I listen to the motor. I feel the vibrations. I know when to shift. Right. And especially the Versus 650 fifty LT, it gets up to maximum power to about 8,000 RPM with about a 2,000 RPM over rev until you hit the, you know, the rev limiter. So really... You're always going to be shifting way before you hit that rev limiter, you know, because you've, you've run out of, you know, you're just kind of hitting a flat end and you want, you're going to want to go up a gear anyway. There's no way they're going to put it without a tachometer because all kinds of people are going to, you know, moan and groan. Oh, I can't believe it doesn't have a tachometer, <laughs> you know, but I, I'm Arthur, how often do you use a tachometer? On a bike like this? Never. Right. So it's completely, you know, it's just a thing that, well, we've always had it and people expect it. So Yeah. Yeah, why not? And it's got a, a nice size clock and I, I always like to know what time it is. Right. And so that's that's good. It has a temperature gauge for the coolant, but not for the ambient temperature. And I always like the ambient temperature gauges because it always tells me am right. I comfortable at this temperature? Okay, good. I'm down temperature. I'm not comfortable at this. So if I know if, what the temperature is going to be, I can know what to wear. Right. So I'm always a big fan of, of that. Another thing that Kawasaki has, and this isn't exclusive to the versus, but it is exclusive to a lot of Kawasakis, is the positive neutral finder. Right. And you, you've probably had it on bikes. And I know Jess or uh, Nick has had it, and he was like, What? I didn't know about this. If you're if you come to a stop in first, if you shift up, it goes into neutral. It will not go into second. Right. There's 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 no fishing around for neutral. You just kick that that lever up, it goes into neutral. Like that's awesome yeah you know that's like a technology they need to sell to everybody on the that makes motorcycles <laughs> right. because that is a really it's far superior to to fishing for neutral right even on the bikes that are the best at that sure. they're not as good as this because you don't even think about it you just shift it up the only hard part is if you're in, if you're neutral you can't really get it into second so if you want to start in second for some reason that's a you kind of have to do pick second while you're rolling up and then hold it yeah but why would you do that anyway i mean you know it's oh because i'm drag racing with the guy next to me (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah so so what's the handling on the bike like i mean presumably the suspension is is pretty street oriented yeah like the rest of the bike it's pretty pretty firm i would think and
1: i would imagine the bike handles really well yeah everything about the versus 650 is neutral it's like the handling is not slow nor fast uh, I will say the motor right. is, is torquey, you know, just as I said, it has that 2000 RPM over rev at the lower right. RPMs. It, it does, it's not a hard feel, but it, it's, it's a, for, for a 650 twin, it's muscular, you know? And so you, you feel nice. a lot of confidence coming off the line. Like I'm not going to stall it. Not, you know, just that, that feeling or it's not lagging slow. We uh, I'm, you know, we, did, we have a little shootout coming out with this in the uh, Triumph Tiger Sport 660. Oh, really? And does not have the same amount of torque at low RPM, like right off idle as this twin. Sure. You know, I mean, the differences when you switch between those bikes is, is very different at the same time, you know, the, the, without giving into that whole, you know, comparison. The, the triple Tiger Mugger sings at the top end far higher than, than the Versus. Sure. But again, if you're just riding cash, riding sport touring i'm looking at oh look over there look at that it has that good low-end power you don't have to shift as often it's smooth the motor is not buzzy you know it's like it might vibrate a bit but it's that twin vibration that that feels good it's not like a buzzy vibration it really the motor is really very torquey and friendly and still you know if you're willing to rev it you know you 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 can ride it like a sport bike although it's still you know it's it's limited to what it is if you wanted to buy a sport bike you should have bought that ninja 650 instead of this right you know it still works good and the steering is completely neutral it doesn't over you know it's not super fast going into corners but it's not you know fixed in its ways where you can't turn it right so you know it just it and with that motor the way it delivers power the more torquey a little bit slower revving the bike feels stable because there's not a lot of unexpected input from the motor so you know it's just it's a super friendly bike to ride and and one that i you know i wouldn't hesitate to ride it across the country i mean i could totally do that i mean i wouldn't want to do it on an interstate you know but i want to get like one of the h2 touring versions but uh if i'm going on back roads then this bike is really enjoyable to ride i mean and it can be as fun as you kind of need it to be but also as just practical as you, as you need it to be sure on that note it looks pretty comfortable too i mean the
0: seat looks really
1: good yeah the comfortable the seat feels a little high the, the seat number is a little high but it's a very soft seat so you kind of you you, you push down into it so it's always Seat heights are always a, a tricky thing. If you have a seat height on a bike, there's like no give when you sit on the seat. That's not the same as a bike that maybe gives a half inch when you sit or three quarters of an inch. Right. And this one is definitely a soft, you know, kind of a unusually soft feel to it when you, when you get on it. And it, it but, but not so soft that it's, that it's mushy, you know, not comfortable. It, it feels good, but it's, it has a little more give in it. Uh, so that's, that's nice. I like the hand guards, even in the summertime, you know, they're just nice to have there. You, you know, uh, certainly in the wintertime, they're a big thing to have, but it just keeps, it's funny, you don't think of the wind on your hands and your arms, but when you take it away, it's kind of, it's nice. Right. The Versus 650 LT does a lot of things. You know, it's like, you can use it as a touring bike, a legit touring bike, you could go, like I said, somebody said, hey, let's go for a ride up to Canada. And I'm saying, are we going, and they go no 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 we're gonna go on the back roads and i'm like i could roll this out of the garage and i'm gone i don't have to do anything right if i want to ride, ride right. you know on the you know, sporty way you know i'm going some of my bike friends are going on sport bikes now obviously if they're going on super high performance bikes they're going to be gone but that would have been true with me anyway but i can ride at a pace that i feel you know i'm going at a good pace certainly on a public road for me You know, my limit is, you know, when I'm going, I don't like going around blind corners on this public road because I don't know what's on the other side of that blind corner. And so that restricts how fast I'll go. And this bike takes me as fast as I want to go, you know, around, you know, the corners. But the other thing it also does, it's an awesome community bike. I mean, you, you know, you can split lanes on it really easy. Again, with that torquey motor, you put it in the tube traction control mode. So it's not jerky. You can carry a ton of stuff to work and back in those bags. And the bags aren't, you know, wider than the bars, so you're not, you know, running any kind of clearance problems. So there's really, it's an incredibly flexible platform. You know, it's funny to think that they also, you know, they use this for the Ninja and use it for the Z650. But you know, those are actually more specialized bikes. You know, you're not going to take a Z650 and ride to Canada on it. Right. You can certainly take this bike and do that. No problem. Yeah, totally fine. Yeah.
0: Going back to the suspension, I assume there's probably not too much adjustment in there. But can you crank up the rear shock a little bit if you've got if you're carrying a passenger and and say two fully loaded
1: bags? Yeah, the 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 suspension is fairly soft. And it's mostly soft on compression, which is not they only have rebound adjustment in the fork. Okay. And so there's not much you can do. And uh, you can't crank up the, the preload that's kind of not a real solution you know it's like people think oh i'm playing with the preload well that does lift the bike but you still have the same spring rate ultimately so you're not going to get rid of that kind of spongy feel of the front end. I was
0: more concerned about the rear end. If you've got, if you're, like I said, if you're carrying a passenger and loaded bags.
1: Well, yeah, you always have spring preload pretty much on any, any bike, even the, the cheapest of the cheap. And this bike it actually has remote. All right, that's that's what I wanted to hear. I mean, as long as you're not having to,
0: to bash around with a screwdriver and a hammer and, you know, trying to dial up the preload. I mean, if you've got a remote adjuster that makes a life a lot easier. That's great, that's
1: awesome. Yeah. So they have, again, rebound damping, which I didn't have much problem with the rebound damping. The, the, the compression is soft. They want you to be comfortable. And they're saying, hey, dude, we have two other bikes. If you want firmer suspension, you got this one because we're going touring. Like, OK, I'm good with that. Right. And so what that means is you don't want to ride the bike really like you know, hard into the corner, jam on the brakes, crank it around and go flying out. It's <laughs> not going to cooperate with that and the front end will dive. But if you, you know, you do that kind of, okay, I'm gonna ride without touching my brakes, you know, smooth through the turns, then it's perfect. You know, it's exactly what you want it to be. The bike's super comfortable. And if you're on a back road, that's not quite the condition, you know, you would like, you know, is not maintained that well, that softer suspension gives you a little bit extra confidence when the road starts getting bumpy. Or potholey or chunks are out. Yep, and so sure. you know that soft suspension has its you know it's it, this isn't the sport model. They have, like I said, they have two other sport models for you to choose from. Right, if that's where you're looking, for. and you know I've I've looked, but I'm sure if you wanted to you know get a stiffer springs from some aftermarket company, they're there. You know, I don't know if it would make the bike that much more fun to ride most of the time. But if you said, hey, I had to add the, you know, I had to have the sportiest handling possible on this LT. And it's like, well, OK, I'm not sure why you bought that, but OK, you know, you can do that. But then when the bike is kind of chattering on, you know, just normal rides, you'd be like, oh, why do I have it so stiff? You know. I don't know. <laughs> it's always going to be that kind of trade-off, you know.
0: Sure. But it, it sounds like a really nice, you know, inexpensive middleweight. Kind of all rounder that's also got some pretty cool styling.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a $10,000 motorcycle. I mean, that's kind of how things all of a sudden you go, what, $10,000? You know, it's like, yeah, that's, you know, but that comes with the bags and the hand guards, you know, so you're getting, okay, more, you know, a lot of, you know, I think that's the $10,000, which is basically the same price as I said, that a Triumph Tiger Sport 660 with bags, you know, you're getting a super versatile motorcycle. Okay. That's kind of the magic of this bike is that you can do so many things on it pretty well. Right. I mean, I think it's probably best at commuting. I mean, that bike is a just major convenience. And again, that softer suspension on it, California, Los Angeles, especially the freeways are, you know, like whooped out like, you know, Anaheim Supercross. Rental. This bike handles them really good. You know, it, it, it's, it, it, it smooths those expansion joints out and it's, it, it handles them good you did always enjoy your ride to work and again if you have a bunch of stuff you got to bring back and forth big enough bags to handle that and if you want to put your helmet in them if you have know, one's empty or whatever you can put your helmet in and not have to carry your helmet around that's that's cool and then again sport wise as long as you ride it kind of the right way you can go pretty fast you'd have to you have to be smooth and then you know touring is is just in its blood with an excellent fairing and, and windshield. They really did a great job with this bike. And, and it's, you know, it's been popular since, you know, it's been 10 years I think now since it first came out. It's just a great motorcycle, great, flexible, all around, versatile, fun to ride motorcycle that would please a lot of different people. Sounds awesome. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate your insight
0: into it. It sounds like a, actually like a really good machine. It's always fun to talk about motorcycles.
1: I hope it's fun for people to listen. (laughs) Let's
0: hope so. (laughs) All right. All right. Hey, thanks, Tom. Thanks a lot. 2022 is the 100th anniversary of Shoeberth Helmets, head protection technology made in Germany. The DOT version of the new C5 launches this June and it offers a revised fit with customizable inner pads for comfort increased ventilation with a new chin air intake and rear exhaust spoiler, and increased safety with new EPS material and anti-roll-off system. It also has a locking mechanism to hold the chin bar open and it's pre-wired for the new SC2 communication system offering mesh by Senna. Learn more about the all new features at shoebirth.com. The new Shoeberth C5 Endless Evolution there's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of supersport machine. It's called Our World, and the all new Yamaha YZF R7 is your gateway. The YZF R7 bridges the gap between the entry level YZF R3 and the prestigious YZF R1, offering a mid level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport sport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine inside an ultra thin and lightweight chassis the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or Plenty of power for ripping your favorite canyon curves. Take a closer look at yamahamotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. In this second segment, I chat with one of my oldest industry friends, now retired Honda PR executive John Seidel. Now retired Honda PR executive John Seidel. John's fascinating career spanned some 30 years with Big Red and gave him some great experiences with some incredible machines. I was fortunate enough to be invited on many of the press launches that he organised. His new project is documenting and saving many of the old archives from years gone by. And incidentally, if you have anything that may be of value to the project, please contact us by email at producer at ultimate motorcycling.com. And we'll pass it all on to John. So you worked at Honda for a long time. How many, was it most of your career or all of your career?
2: Arthur, it it was 30 years. Yes. It's amazing how, how quickly that, Time goes, and you kind of look back on that, and you sort of go, "That was that really three decades? But yes, it was. Correct. Yes.
0: So you must have started...
2: I started uh, at... Uh, in, actually, I, my hire date was December twenty eighth, 1990. So just before 91 is when I got on with them.
0: Okay. Which was really kind of a golden age for motorcycles, wasn't it, really? I mean, may, maybe I, maybe I'm reminiscing too much, but...
1: <laughs>
2: no, I, I I think you're right. You you look back at that at that time and, and what started to to come out in the nineties, and uh, you're right. Uh, it it, it I, I certainly look at it that way as well.
0: So what what exactly was your job at, at Honda now that now that you've retired?
2: Well, as I as I bugged them mercilessly for several years to try to get on with them, um, the first job that I had was as a district sales manager. So uh, I had recently gotten married, and we moved from a small town in Texas, Kerrville, close to San Antonio, and uh, my territory assignment was Kansas and Nebraska. So a tremendous amount of windshield time in that little Honda Accord. (laughs) So we moved to uh, Overland Park, Kansas, Heartland America okay a lot of people uh start is out in the field and sure honestly uh when when i got the job and and uh the person i've always been most grateful to although he won't admit it much gary christopher who i i know you know he he absolutely was influenced uh influenced me getting on with the company i you know he may deny that but it's that it is the absolute truth but he always told me because this is how he started and and surprisingly enough we actually kind of started in the same area but what he always said Arthur is that that being a a DSM district sales or service manager out in the field is probably the best job at at Honda you're out there you're you're visiting motorcycle dealers every day so that's where I started as a sales manager so my job was to to go and visit dealers uh, get some orders help them with their business but uh the fact that I was paid to go to Honda motorcycle dealers every day, uh, my friends couldn't quite get over that.
0: <laughs> I'll bet. So then, eventually, you trans—you—you you obviously transitioned into the PR department because that was when I first met you in—in the mid ninety, in the mid two thousands.
2: I did 10 years as a district sales manager, so it was uh, just after 2000 that I got transferred out to the corporate office in Torrance, California, and that's where I joined the press group, and again, Gary Christopher, that name keeps coming up, he was the one that that brought me out yeah. to California in that job, so the the fact that I got to work with him for a, a number of years before he retired in 2006 was was. Uh, just outstanding and, and uh, I, I'll always treasure that that time being able to work with him.
0: Yeah, I, I remember him very well. He was just a lovely man. he was he was very very kind, very nice man. He was great.
2: Most people will say Arthur and I think it's true that that he was probably the, the best face of Honda that the company ever had. Uh, you know he was a, a typical Texan, grew up there, um smooth, smart, but but just had this way about him that uh made the company always look so good. So we he he was a treasure to have for sure. He
0: he definitely was, but I, I have to say you definitely picked up those reins very well because you were always incredibly gracious to deal with and and very nice. So you were a very good face of Honda. So really your job entailed organizing the press events and the press launches of the new bikes is that correct
2: that was certainly part of it in the press group our our main job was to interface with with any any media that came in and of course to promote honda but you're right part of it was certainly new product launches but it was working with our advertising group in in in, in material so uh, it it was pretty multifaceted.
0: I'm never going to be able to get you to, to, you know, tell us any real secrets, but (laughs) uh, I realise, despite having now retired, you're still, still far too loyal to Honda to say anything, but.
2: There's there's probably no doubt about
0: that. (laughs) uh, I wouldn't expect it, but, but you must have some fascinating stories to tell about, you know, about different launches. Is there anything that, really sort of stands out in particular that you know of any different motorcycles that you had fun with
2: or well, well you know what one of the most in, a couple of them. one of the most interesting was probably I had not been in the press department that long and we were launching the first VTX 1800 okay. now if you think back to the context of that in early times uh, uh, of course the the domination of Harley Davidson and, and to try to get into that arena with a competitive product was uh, was an uphill battle and challenging. So it, it was it was very interesting. Again, I was I was pretty new in the department, but to watch how everything came together to try to launch that product in the United States. And to and and to have a to have an impact and the, and then the other one I think which was pretty significant was when we did an international launch for, for the then all new two thousand and seven CBR six hundred RR so uh, you know that that was certainly a lot of fun to put together and of course we, we did it at Barber Barber Motorsports Park so we had that wonderful museum the track everything that surrounded uh, that that facility but it, uh, that that was certainly a memorable one as well.
0: It it really was. The other one that really sticks out in my mind that wasn't a press launch this was only a few years ago at laguna seca where you had somehow found a brand new rc45 sort of yes. you know <laughs> well, it must have been like a 30 year old bike or something but brand new in the box you uncrated it yeah. brought it to this track day at laguna seca and casually turned around to me and said arthur do you do you want to ride this <laughs> I was like, let me think about that for a moment
2: <laughs> we know it it's i don't know how many people uh know this but but mr honda himself his his favorite engine configuration was that b4 he loved that he loved that engine because of the perfect primary balance uh you know obviously in the early days those multi-cylinder hondas that were our early gp machines but but he always had an affinity for that b4 engine so when when he knew that Honda was going to bring that out in the early 80s and then subsequently with the RC30 and RC45, at very special motorcycles for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, they really were. It's, it's interesting, I remember one of the very first things you told me when I first came into the business in, what was it, 2002 or three? You said, Honda is an engineering company and you know the other companies are marketing companies, but Honda is an engineering company. And it's always sort of stuck with me,
2: you know you're 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 absolutely right. And for sure, some of our competitors are probably maybe better at at marketing. But when it comes down to that to that base level engineering, you're right. i I, I don't think we have any equal in that front. and 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 so today, if you look across uh, all of the product lines that Honda Motor Company produces worldwide,
0: it is. I mean, Honda have just sort of, over the years, they've built things sort of, just because they can. There's a definite attitude of sort of, you know, build it and they will come. And truth is sometimes they have and sometimes they haven't.
2: You know, it's interesting. And, and of course, one of the models, and I, I was so glad that you were a part of that, keep, keeping on that B 4 theme a little bit, that rc 213 BS. you know, if, if, if you look at it from a financial standpoint or, or a marketing standpoint, there was probably no reason in the world to build that motorcycle, but,
0: did. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, if I can correct you, it is the RC213VS.
2: <laughs> you're, you're exactly right.
0: <laughs> they made a big deal because in America, in, in America, we always called it the 213. And they made a big deal of sort of stressing to us on at the press event. We, they were No, no, no. It's the 213 three. <laughs> always,
2: that's always stuck with me you're 100 percent correct i was i was so happy for you when you got to to go on that launch because of course it was just some very select editors but when I, I i remember being in the meeting talking about well who who should go to this and uh your name sir was was one of the very first ones discussed so
0: well you know i i consider myself very very fortunate for that it was that motorcycle literally I mean, when I say it's the best motorcycle I've ever ridden, I mean, like, quite dramatically the best. Just far and away the best. There's absolutely no competition, and really, I mean, and I'm not just saying that. And on other podcasts, I've discussed why I think that, but it was an extraordinary machine. Yes. But, I mean, Honda, over the years, have produced other, starting for me back in my early years, of course, my early motorcycle years, 1979, Honda suddenly came up with a six-cylinder this crazy, just giant machine, and I remember seeing back then I was living in London and 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 seeing the the very first one I ever saw a silver one at a set of traffic lights, and it was just jaw dropping to look at this thing.
2: That's another one, and and of course that was the the creation out of the genius mind of uh, diri San, um, who you know was a a young engineer who Mr. Honda, yeah brought along, but you're right, to create that motorcycle at that time was uh, was pretty astonishing.
0: It was, and then of course, Honda decided that they wanted to go racing, um, but they felt that because they were more of a four-stroke oriented company, they were not going to try and compete with the two strokes, design, which is an yes. insane decision, I mean just completely insane. So they decided that the only way that they were going to, to maybe be able to compete was coming up with this oval piston concept.
2: Exactly, and you know of course as as it's recorded in the history books that that entire program and it, it did not turn out successfully It it was kind of an abject failure but. You know, Mr. Honda always said you learned more from your failures than your successes. So yes. in, in that context, they they went on. And of course, eventually, once once four stroke GP bikes came in, in into the into the four, uh, we we built some pretty good ones.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, I think it was Winston Churchill who said the definition of success is being able to go from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm.
1: <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> I like that
0: one. That's very good. So uh, all these all these incredible successes, a couple of really strange oddball bikes. I remember a few years ago the DN01, you know, which is this sort of strange 17-inch wheel but low-slung sort of scooter motorcycle combo. Very interesting. I mean, it, it never it never sold I don't I don't believe I'm
2: barely sold it was not a commercial success it kind of harkens back to what we were talking about earlier being an engineering company yeah um because I I, I'm sure the bean counter marketing guys looked at that and went what are we thinking here this this isn't going to go well (laughs) but they built it anyway
0: yeah and and I remember you sort of gave me one to ride and and I thought what on earth am I going to do with this thing but it actually worked pretty well
2: what's so funny is through the years when i talked to, yeah, when i talked to a few customers that have had those, like everything else, the people that actually bought them love them, but there just weren't that many people that bought them.
0: Right, right. So, uh, but, but clearly, obviously, there have been some absolutely spectacular successes as well. You know, overall, I think, you know, Honda just, they are an, a really iconic, iconic brand. I, I've, traveled to Japan many many times because of my job and I have to say I absolutely love Japan love the the Japanese it's a fascinating place fascinating culture I agree what was your experience of working with the Japanese for so long are they really as secretive and inscrutable as 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 their reputation or were they pretty open with you and easy to deal with
2: you know what what what's interesting just like with 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 all people from whatever nationality you were you kind of ran the whole gambit, but I would say overall, the thing that always impressed me most about our Japanese staff was their attention to detail. They, they, they would always ask the back question of why. And, you know, th- this was certainly their, their strength. Sometimes it, it would be hard to convince them of something that we saw maybe in, in the American market, but they, uh, they never wavered on that. They they always had a, an acute attention to detail, and that that obviously sir has served them well through the decades. Yeah,
0: without without a doubt, it's uh that is probably the most memorable thing. Like you say, for me, is the attention to detail. Yes, almost reverence and sort of respect that they they hold for everybody. The way they treat everybody is absolutely amazing. It really, um, very, very impressive. I'm not surprised they're as successful as they are. Clearly, you enjoyed working there as well. I mean, it must have been a marvelous place to work.
2: It was amazing. And, you know, I I remember when I was trying to get on with them, friends of mine used to say, well, you know what? Why don't you put in an application to Kawasaki or Yamaha? They're all great companies, but but my heart and soul, even before I got on with them, was just always with Honda. There has just been something about them that has always fascinated me. Uh, I, I bought their products many, only their products, many years before I even got on with the company. So, uh, yeah, I, I felt I felt extremely fortunate to be able to to work for them the, those years that I did. It was it was a true pleasure.
0: You were based down in Torrance, weren't you, in Torrance, California?
2: Yes, our our. The, the national headquarters is in Torrance, California, and of course, Honda started in this small building in 1959 on Pico Boulevard. Then, uh, you know, in, in the uh, uh, you know later 60s, early 70s, moved to Gardena, and then in the very early 2000s is when they built the uh, the current national office in Torrance.
0: Right. So, if there's a a young person sort of uh, listening to this, and they their heart's desire is to get into working for one of the factories into that kind of job how what, what would you recommend as a place to start a good place to start
2: you know like 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 everything else in life sometimes it, it it's a bit who you knew obviously being an, an enthusiast in in motorsports is a, is a benefit um i uh, i went back and actually finished my college degree worked at a dealership in san antonio texas and these were all directions that that Gary Christopher kind of told me that you know would be helpful, but it it's about that passion, Arthur. It it it, right. it really is. If if, if you want it bad enough, and and you know I I bugged them for several years before I got on, but <laughs> but uh, don't give up that hope because it's it, it's a great industry to work in, to be sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really is. And interestingly, having had such a an interesting career at Honda. You then retired, what was it, last year, and you've now moved on to a completely new project, or, or well, no, not completely new, a related project.
2: Well, it, it was very interesting. Shortly before I left, um, our uh, our uh, Vice President, Chuck Boderman, came to me and said, John, I kind of would like your help with something, and I think it's something that would be up your alley and are interested in. So, for, for years, we've obviously had a, a, several different PR agencies of record, and like agencies do, they, they will keep materials and things. So um, one of them had about 74 banker's boxes worth of materials uh, to kind of go through. So I'm actually sitting here talking to you uh, today from our current agency of record, John Media in Belmont Shores, and and what I do is I is I get to come in, go through those files, we digitize them, we we record them, we we tag them, and it, it's I'm I'm so grateful that they have allowed me to do this because, truly, I believe that you're you're only as good as the history that you can tell, and and Honda Motor Company and American Honda have a fascinating and wonderful history. So in creating these archives, putting them all in one place, then uh, you know people in the media like yourself, when can we can access this and, and really tell the Honda story.
0: So when you say they're materials, they're pictures of bikes or plans or-
2: It's so many different things. It, it's images, it's, uh, it's documentation, it's press kit. Uh, just to give you an example of something I found, I found uh, the first line drawings of the V4 engine. Wow. And you know, but when we put it in that first 1982 Sabre, and I have uh, some friends that I still correspond with occasionally at our uh, collection hall at Twin Ring Motegi in Japan, the Honda collection hall. And I emailed my friend there and said, "Hey, just you know, going through these archives and finding these things, and you know, just 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 wondered if if, if you guys had this or would you like it?" And surprising, unless they didn't have that first thing, so uh, you know that 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 was a significant find and something that we can we can share around Honda as well. Yeah,
0: it's amazing. It's, and, and I'm so glad that this stuff isn't going to get lost. It must be absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. I guess the one, my one sort of question for you, probably my number one question for you, and you might not even know the answer to this is.
2: Well, I was an OPR guy, so I'd have to make something up, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite Honda motorcycle from any, any of the years that you, do you have a favorite?
2: Well, I, I absolutely do. And, and if, if, if you'll uh, give me a moment, I'll, I'll tell you why not to make this too long and drawn out. So when I was a kid growing up in Kerrville, Texas, a small town, as most, you know, 11, 12 year olds get a little bit motorcycle crazy. But my problem was I was not allowed to have a motorcycle because uh, my father was a surgeon, an operating room surgeon, and uh, my my mother was an operating room nurse. So motorcycles were kind of not, not in the cards for me. So My poor dad, for probably two years or more, I bugged him incessantly to finally take me over to the little Honda shop, the next town over about 25 miles away. And Arthur, I can remember it like like it was yesterday. We walked through the door and this was a very small shop, uh, very small, he probably only had about less than a dozen motorcycles in there. we walked through the door and my my dad instantly said, we're not buying a motorcycle, He's not allowed to have one. And as we walked through that door, uh sitting on this this uh this pedestal was a a red honda s90 and i looked at that bike and i just i was just floored the the gentleman was so nice he let let me sit on one he actually took me out back started one and of course my dad my dad was just sitting there fuming just rolling his eyes he
1: actually
2: he actually gave me a little honda brochure which i still have today And so now a couple of my vintage bikes that I that I love are, of course, onto S90. So, yes, I would have to say that that little S90 was that's kind of my favorite bike.
0: That's so funny. (laughs) You know, you and I aren't a million miles away from each other on that. My first bike, again, I had a similar kind of thing. My mother told me ever since before I could talk, only stupid people ride motorcycles. It's all I ever heard. Uh, Yes. And, you know, to my parents absolute chagrin, of course, I fell in love with motorcycles, uh, you know, as a teenager, and actually, my father was was gracious enough in order to try and motivate me to, uh, to to graduate from high school, he bought me, um, it was a 1968 it was actually a 90 CC Honda but it was, it was actually called the C 200.
2: Oh yes, right.
0: Essentially, the 90cc single cylinder, but it was a motorcycle style. It wasn't a step through.
2: I know the I know the motorcycle you're talking about. Yep,
0: 1968, <laughs> and I loved that thing. I had so much fun on it. Yeah, I mean, I finally crashed it, of course. You know, <laughs> that, that was that, <laughs> but, but, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was my very first bike, and I absolutely loved it. I can't say it's my favorite because I've had. Well, I've ridden the RC213V, so <laughs> right. I think our audience would would uh, would wonder if I said that the C200 was my favorite. Understood. But I have very fond memories of it. Well, do you need any help with this project at all? I mean, if if people have Honda brochures or old user manuals, I don't know. I mean,
2: I'll I'll tell you what, Arthur. It, it, it's like I I. I have found from some of the other sources. I actually went to our our Honda Library on campus uh, several months ago and found some materials just like you're saying. A, a couple of old certain, some some interesting artifacts and things that we've had through the year. So uh, a- absolutely, you know, we we, we certainly don't want to want to miss anything Honda wise. So it, it, in, any, it, anything would be appreciated for sure.
0: Right. I think I still have the original press kit from the Honda Rune.
2: Now that that one I have and for sure another perfect example of, of something that our marketing guys probably said, oh, what are you crazy? Why why would you build this? But but the engineering group won out and uh and they built it.
0: Yeah. A, again a, a spectacular motorcycle and highly collectible now yeah okay well i won't well i won't send you the press kit then so <laughs> have, but okay <laughs> all right okay well uh i'll put something in the show notes then so that uh if uh somebody needs to to contact you they can can get in touch with us and say yeah i think i've got something that john might be interested in
2: oh thank you arthur that would be wonderful for sure
0: all right. Well, I, I don't know if there's anything else to add, but um, I greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and uh, giving us your time.
2: Well, as I said, as I said, when we started, anything for you, Arthur, you always know that.
0: <laughs> Thank you.